I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Been talking with Trev for a long time. Appreciate those conversations. We've come so close in so many games, and it's hard to think we can keep doing exactly the same things and and get it over the the top. And it's not any person's fault, any one of those coaches' fault. Sometimes there just needs to be a a little different voice and and maybe little changes that can make a difference. And the timing was tough uh, in the middle of the season, but everything's gonna move really fast here after the season uh, with recruiting and signing day. Um, And it's kind of important to get guys in place to help get those things done. And with a bye week and time to evaluate, I thought that that was the best time. And in a way, Scott's bet on himself, and I like that. And I think that's pretty cool. And so, uh, like I said, you know, Scott's probably a little bit uncomfortable. The university and I might be a little bit uncomfortable. And that's why I think we have a really good deal. And uh, there's no guarantees uh, of success. But I think um, this gives us the most reasonable chance to work together, all hands on deck, to see if we can execute his vision at a high level next year and, and keep making progress to getting Husker football back to where we'd all like it to be. And welcome here to this edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett. It was supposed to be a nice, quiet bye week. Uh, not so fast, my friend, as it's been a very, very busy week here in Lincoln. Um, as many of you know, on Monday around 2 o'clock, the university announced that Trev Al- or Scott Frost would be back for a fourth year. And then two hours later, around 4 o'clock, Scott Frost made his announcement that he had parted ways with 40% of his coaching staff, four of his 10 assistants, all on the offensive side of the ball. Offensive coordinator Matt Lubick, offensive line coach and running backs coach, or I'm sorry, offensive line coach and running game coordinator Greg Austin, quarterbacks coach Mario Verdusco, and then running backs coach and recruiting coordinator Ryan Held uh, no longer. And they were done immediately. And, you know, now it's just kind of trying to pick up the pieces where everything goes. But, you know, Robin, we've been around Nebraska athletics a lot. I mean, better part of 20 years. This stuff just doesn't happen very often. Usually you don't get a mulligan like this for four years. Scott Frost is going to get a mulligan. Um, and you heard Trev Albert say, you know, a lot of it is he's one of us. And we want to make sure we're for sure that it's not going to work before we pull the plug on the Scott Frost era. Yeah, and during his radio interview, after all that news went down on Monday night um, on the Husker Sports Network, he kind of ended his his segment talking about loyalty being one of his core values. And if it, there's a situation like this where um, you know you can make cases for and against uh, a decision, he's going to err on the side of loyalty. And he, he wants to give Scott every opportunity to – uh, you know, to turn this thing around and, and do what everyone at the university top to bottom uh, hoped would happen when he was hired uh, back in 2018. So, um, you know, I'm sure that's part of it, but let's be real here. I mean, there's other motives involved. Uh, and part of that was the restructuring of that con- that contract, being able to 
drop his year his annual salary down by a million dollars from five million to four million, being able to drop that buyout from fifteen million after the two thousand twenty two season down to seven point five. That's a substantial amount of money. And looking ahead, if next season doesn't work out, it makes the decision to part ways a whole lot easier for Trev and everybody else involved with Nebraska. Let's be honest too, Robin. There are I, I just don't see any way Nebraska was going to pay him $20 million. No, and it'd be 25 when you add in all the other assistants, and too. It just wasn't going to happen. I mean, you look at all the total buyouts that people have griped about Nebraska has paid out. You know, all of them combined is just over $20 million. So just, just this one alone would have been as much almost as everything they've done in the past. And Nebraska and Auburn have paid out the most buyouts in like the last 15-plus mm-hmm. years. This would have put Nebraska like far out ahead of everybody else, which that's not good. Yeah, while they're trying to fund a $155 million football facility uh, and coming off one of the most fiscally detrimental uh, years we've ever seen after the COVID year. And by the way, we had no ticket revenue in yeah. 2020. Yeah, and you depleted your uh, rainy day fund that uh, was supposed to keep you afloat forever. Yeah, it, it just all of this, you know, when you look at it, um, it wasn't easy, but I commend Trev Alberts to navigate Nebraska through this. I just don't know if it would have been this way if Bill Moose was still here. I don't know how it would have went. Um, I don't know how it would have went if Sean Eichhorst was the AD. Mm-hmm. Um, but Trev Alberts, I think, had to read both sides here. And I know there are upset people. Everyone's upset about the football season. Mm-hmm. But I never heard from a regent, a real leader, high-level booster people that said, fire Scott Frost. Like I always got the sense... At least that side was, no, we need to give this at least one more year to see for sure. We're not going to blow this up again. But then obviously you get a vocal side of the fan base that maybe isn't a high-level booster, but they're very vocal. And you know, on our message board, we had a lot of that. Um, it, was, it was really, really heated over the last few weeks, especially um, when nobody really knew where this was going. And I, I think as Trev Albert said, it wasn't really for sure. Like, I don't think they knew for sure that they wanted to do this. Like, I think when Mike Riley got fired, you knew. Yep. Oh, yeah. No yeah, question. It's over. Um, I, I think when Bo Pelini got fired, I think you pretty much knew. But then he beat Iowa in overtime in yeah. Iowa City. Things got complicated. <laughs> um, so that made it interesting on that game. And you thought Bo Pelini was going to get fired the year before. So you knew the next year. Like, when they beat Georgia in the Gator Bowl – and Sean Eichhorst just stormed off. The, I was standing down there in that rainy Jacksonville. He just stormed out of there. Didn't even, like, celebrate the win. I mean, Nebraska just beat, like, Todd Gurley in Georgia in the Gator Bowl. And mm-hmm. the AD just shoot off the field. Yeah. Like that was, a, that was a pretty toxic dynamic. Like, you just knew that, like, okay. You know, when Frank Solich beat Colorado and Steve Peterson wasn't down on the field and Mark Bame wasn't smiling, you knew Frank Solich was probably in trouble. Yeah, no question. And so, again, I think that that – is kind of what makes Trev different for this situation in the sense that, you know, he too is a former, you know, Husker great who loves this program with with every ounce uh, of his being. And so that, I think, is, plays into, into a part of this where it's not just some outsider making a, uh, you know, black and white decision uh, that, that seems simple from a business sense or uh, from an X's and O's sense. I think that there's a lot of layers involved with this situation that Trev recognizes and appreciates. But, um, you know, first and foremost, uh, it made more of a business sense to keep Scott Frost for another year. 
and it made more of a, a, a kind of a loyalty sense for him to keep Scott for another year. And so while the product on the field has not been good enough and it hasn't been close to good enough, and Trev mentioned that, he said that no one is happy with what has gone on, and we're not trying to put it out there that uh, we're okay with the results that have transpired over the last four years. You know, they also understand that there's there's more to it than just winning and losing football games. And, and I know some people don't want to hear that. In fact, we've heard for the last you know three or four weeks that nobody wants to hear that uh, on our message boards and social media. But it's the reality of the situation. And it was, a, it was a, a predicament where Trev Alberts was not going to make a decision that everyone was going to be happy with. People were going there to be was upset no, way. With no matter what he did. Yeah, if he – and I'll just say I had – I can't say who sent this to me, but one of the most high-profile people that follows Nebraska football, period, and I'm not exaggerating, said if Nebraska fires Scott Frost, I'm done with Nebraska. Yeah, and so, and I I get it, you're upset about it, but I, I don't know if I heard people say if they keep Frost, I'm done with Nebraska. I think I'm mad at Nebraska, but I I think you would have really really. And if you upset those people, again, we were just talking about not just the, the money they're saving with Frost, but, I mean, they have people that are financially committed to some very big things Nebraska's trying to do right now. And if you irritate those people or turn them off from the program, uh, that could be even more expensive than anyone could possibly imagine. And it's a gamble. I mean, what's happening, I think no matter what you did, it's a gamble. If you blow it all up, it's a gamble because you probably would have lost 20 or 30 guys to the portal. You don't know who wants the job. I don't know if you're ready for a search. You're up against a lot of competition with coaching jobs. And it's a gamble by moving forward with Frost because you don't know what kind of staff he's going to hire and how they're going to respond. But I think this is the lesser of the two evils. Yeah, I mean, again, I think it was the safest approach in a lot of different ways to where not only from a a money standpoint, but uh, you will have your answer by this time, probably, or by you know the, the end of next season, one way or the other. If Frost is able to turn this thing around and there's real tangible progress being made, they're competitive in the West, they're beating the teams they're supposed to beat, uh, and they're going to a bowl game, you know, and, and being a few games over 500, those types of things, then, yeah, I mean, you made the right choice, and you can build off that. If it doesn't happen, uh, your, your answer is about as cut and dry as it possibly could get. And, oh, by the way, you just saved yourself a whole mon- lot of money from doing it a year earlier. Well, next year, once again, there's two bye weeks, a little bit different schedule. The second bye next year is around Halloween. They don't play on October 29th. So I think by bye two next year, bye number two, you'll really know at that point. Uh, Nebraska has Wisconsin, Purdue, Illinois, Iowa over the final four games. But – it's almost a deal now with the early um, signing day and whatnot. If you make a move, you almost got to do it around this time of year now. Yeah, that's that's the other factors. The you know the expedited offseason calendar with the December fifteenth signing day, and then the transfer portal more than anything. I mean that hits that goes full speed ahead as soon as the season ends, the day the season ends, and so you have to have your ducks in a row and the guys in place on your staff to be able to manage that, not only in terms of recruiting transfers, but keeping guys on the roster. And so the time was of the essence with this decision. I know it's weird for Nebraska to do something like this in season, but they, have to. they had no choice because if you're going to make a move like this, and it's substantial, while you're not firing the coach, you are you got rid of half your staff. 40% 40, your 40%. And so uh, to, to, to be able to give yourself you know two full weeks before having to play a game again, uh, and then also to be able to get things in order uh, for the 
the signing period, which is now just over a month away, uh, it was imperative that they made a decision now. All right, when we come back, we're going to continue discussing this coaching move and what direction Nebraska might look towards on offense with this coordinator hire. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Hi, it's Sean Callahan with Husker Online. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones and see what we find. Learn more at uscellular.com slash built for us. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I want to first say that Scott and I both understand that our results have not been what they need to be. Nobody is is suggesting that 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 where we stand is is uh, is currently comfortable and or acceptable long term. But I also think, uh, um, you know, in just observing and watching some things that are very, very important to me in terms of the unity of the players, the work ethic, the togetherness, you know, those things are there. And so I've talked about incremental progress and, and I've seen that in some key areas. This was a big fix and I put my absolute heart and soul into this to, to get it where I want it and where the state wants it. Um, when you're working that hard to get it fixed, I'd love to be out talking to the fans more, and I'd love to go uh, do more booster functions. I'd love to go hunting more uh, in western Nebraska. Um, and th- those things are important, I think, for my sanity and also so I get to spend time with people that matter in Nebraska. I love the state. I love representing the state. I want to spend more time doing some of those things. I, I think this will help me do that. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. As you heard Scott Frost and Trev Alberts there more about the decisions this week, this segment of the program is brought to you by Tanner's Sports Bar and Grill, 30th and Yankee Hill Road. Uh, they are ha- You, you want to go in there and watch Nebraska basketball and volleyball right now. BTN Plus, a lot of these games are on BTN Plus, and there's a lot of people that doesn't want to pay that extra money to have that additional BTN Plus. Well, Tanner's puts all the BTN Plus basketball, volleyball, baseball broadcasts on the entire bar. So you get that sports bar experience. The other night they had the Nebraska basketball game on. Uh, we don't want to talk about the game. We'll talk about it later, Robin. Um, but they have <laughs> yes, it on and you know get great wings, food, service. Obviously the bye weekend, they're going to have plenty of football on. So get on into Tanner's Sports Bar and Grill. They are a proud segment sponsor here of the Husker Online Show. And you heard Scott Frost talking, Robin, now. He wants to move into the CEO role. Don't we all, though, right? You know. <laughs> yes, I certainly would like to do that as well. I would like to just move into a role where I don't do anything. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding, but um, it's tough because I, I get what he's saying. He wants to be a true, you know, like a Bobby Bowden, you know, a guy that can just kind of be a walk around. But I, I think we both know that's really not going to happen in totality. But I think he wants it to be at that level to an extent. Have an established guy. Have a, you know, I'm just going to throw random names out there, like a Tom Herman or a Mike Bobo, somebody that can run an offense that you know can run an offense. Yeah, that you don't have to worry about if they're going to do things the right way because you have – 
total trust in them uh, in everything from the day-to-day operations to the actual game day play calling. And I think that's important for Scott. You know, he's, he's been a play caller for the last 10 years. I mean, even this season when some of that was supposed to be taken off his plate, I think he still kind of had the reins with Matt Lubick. You know, they, they shared the, the game plan, but ultimately he was the one calling the offense. And so I think kind of, I want to say maybe being forced or convinced to take a step back and oversee the entire picture and not just one phase of the game. I mean, how many times like during press conferences, you'd ask him about, uh, you know, the opposing team's offense. He's like, well, I haven't really studied them. You know, I've been too focused on the, on the defense and getting our offense ready. The head coach isn't supposed to do that. The head coach is supposed to know everything. And when you isolate yourself into one phase of the game as much as he did, uh, it it limits you, especially during the game when critical decisions need to be made. So I think it's good for him, and I think he's at least realized that. And uh, maybe it was those conversations with Tread Trev Alberts that he had on a I'm weekly sure he basis. Fred yeah, too. yeah. <laughs> About uh, you know, just kind of understanding that um, you know, your job is bigger than just calling plays. You need to have your hands on everything, especially if you want this whole picture to come together the way it needs to. He want Trev Alberts wants a true leader of a program, not just a ball coach, not a guy that can draw plays up and call plays. He wants a guy that leads the program. And you know, you, you think about other coaches at Nebraska, it, they're, you know, they've all been different. I mean, Mike Riley didn't call the plays. Um, Danny Langstorff did, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and he walked around, but mainly was offense. Bo Pelini called the defense. I mean, that was his thing. He tried to hand it off to Carl and, and Papuchas, but he was not a good CEO of Nebraska football. We, we can all agree on that. I mean, Bill Callahan honestly had some of the best qualities of a guy that ran the program. He just didn't have the political protection to survive four years. Right. right. I mean, you can if you're going back and like looking at coaches now that we've seen all these years, he did a lot of good things. He just didn't have the political protection to get what Scott Frost is getting right now. Like, if Bill Callahan was Scott Frost, he would have been like, "All right, we really like what you're doing in recruiting because you're bringing in like NFL draft picks and you're developing players pretty well, but you need a new defensive staff." And let's go out and hire you a good defensive staff. He didn't get that luxury because he didn't have the political protection to get the next year. Absolutely. And yeah, you got to wonder what could have been if he had that opportunity or at least was uh, pushed to making that type of decision. And uh, that's that's the luxury that Scott has, though. He had the political protection. And so, you know, for, for whatever reason it was, he has that opportunity to really take a look in the mirror about what his role is within this program and then also... Uh, kind of the what what this offense can be with somebody else kind of pushing a little more of the buttons, and so I, this there's a lot of important hires and decisions that need to be made for how they take this in a new direction. Um, he made it clear it will not be a wholesale change, as he put it, offensively. He's going to hire someone that is at least on the same page as he is offensively. Um, you know, he, he kind of credited they they did a lot of good things, and when they have the right players in place. Uh, they can be an elite offense. So I don't think he wants to completely scrap all of that and go to a wishbone or anything like that. Uh, but, you know, he's going to have somebody that can bring new ideas to the table, bring some new philosophies and, and coaching styles that can take this thing to the next step. So um, he's saying all the right things. You know, he, he wants to be, um, you know, a figurehead of this program. And he, he talks about what's really important that he hasn't been able to do is interact with the fans more, you know, go out and see people, talk to boosters, you know, make speaking uh, uh, engagements and all that. 
<laughs> he even said he wants to go hunting more out in western you know Nebraska. It, it, i mean and we got a lot of people probably listening to us maybe driving out to go deer hunting this weekend it's opening weekend mm-hmm. for uh deer rifle season i believe in nebraska this weekend so well and he may he said that i mean he's not talking about just taking some time off to go hunting like he said it'd be good for my sanity because i do think he puts so much pressure on himself for this and well, all the failures they've had he puts directly on himself and, he, and he's got it's gotten the point unfortunately where he probably doesn't feel comfortable going out to like tanners anymore and having a beer and just watching football because of all the other BS rumors he dealt with this last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so there's a lot of that stuff. That- His san- I mean, let's, when we're talking about sanity, that had a lot to do with it. I mean, he got grinded by... I mean, he aged 10 years over the last The like, underground world of Nebraska football message boards, and not our board necessarily, but other boards, like grinded him to no other. Just from, you, you can see it. I mean, that's a lot of pressure when people are attacking your character and, and, and whatnot and... You know, I'm sure it was hard for him to get away in the last year. Yeah, and so trying to you know do all the things as a head coach while also formulating week to week game plans and then you know calling plays on game day, uh, you know I, I think that he was spreading himself a little too thin. So at least he acknowledges that and he's trying to take steps necessary to become more of a figurehead head coach and not a an Exodus nose guy. All right, we'll continue this bi week discussion. You're listening here to the Husker Line Show. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Been talking with Trev for a long time. Appreciate those conversations. We've come so close in so many games, and it's hard to think we can keep doing exactly the same things and and get over the the top. And it's not any person's fault, any one of those coaches' fault. Sometimes there just needs to be a a little different voice and and maybe little changes that can make a difference. And the timing was tough uh, in the middle of the season, but everything's going to move really fast here after the season uh, with recruiting and signing day. Um, And it's kind of important to get guys in place to help get those things done. And with a bye week and time to evaluate, I thought that that was the best time. You know, the history around here, if we're really honest, is when we'd lost some of those games, the team unwound and you'd lose 70 to six. Well, it'd been pretty hard if that happened. And and when that didn't happen, uh, and that's not to say that it couldn't happen at Wisconsin or, you know, at Iowa. But the point is, um, I think it's a strong indicator of whether the team is following the coaching staff. At the end of the day, leadership is about having people follow you. And, and our young men are, are following this coaching staff and fighting hard. Um. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. You heard Scott Frost and Trev Alberts talking about the week that was. Uh, this segment of the Husker Online Show is brought to you by the 2022 Aer Lingus Classic. And, Robin, even another better reason now to go out to Ireland. You're going to get to see the new coaching staff, the new offense but you're going to have a trip of a lifetime. Uh, you want to get into this trip right now. Visit the website, Huskers, the number two Ireland. That's Huskers2Ireland.com. They've got tons of great trip options. You can go anywhere from three, five, seven, nine days. I mean, you, you can set up the, the package and the trip that meets your price point. 
they'll also help you, you know, get set up with your flight arrangements, um, ideally with the Aer Lingus uh, airline carrier to get that true Irish experience. I am so looking forward to that trip, Robin. I need a trip like that. Can we just go right now? Yes. And obviously, <laughs> yes. it's especially, you know, now that another year without a bowl game is uh, all but settled. This is basically a, a, a built in guaranteed bowl trip, and you could probably not have a much better destination than this. It sure, sure beats Detroit or any of those other bowls. So get your stuff lined up for the Aer Lingus College Football Classic. That's at Huskers to Ireland.com. Um, but Robin, uh, going back to these comments, you know, recruiting played a big factor in this. And I think about 2017 when Mike Riley had gotten fired, that was going to be the first year. 2018, the class of 18 was the first year of the early signing period. Um, so that was an unknown land at that point. We didn't really know what December signing would look like. I think some people are like, oh, there'll still be a lot of guys that will sign in February. Well, as we've learned now, 95% or more sign in December. And it's basically very, very, very high profile guys that hold out till February or maybe kind of diamond in the rough type guys. Yeah, which again is why it's so critical to get this thing started now as opposed to waiting to the end of the season. Because if they would have waited till, uh, you know, the, the, the Saturday after Black Friday to, to start making then another decisions. two weeks. Of, I mean, you, you get two weeks on the road this year. That's it. That's exactly. it. Two weeks. Yeah. So they had no option but to do it right now. And so uh, now they, they got to hit the ground running on the recruiting front. I mean, you got to go and, uh, you know, re-recruit guys probably a little bit and kind of, conf- you know, ease their concerns I mean, a little but bit. Do you really? Well, I mean, because there's, I mean, there's only like three or four yeah, offensive true. recruits, good, man. Good point. You got to, I mean, <laughs> good you gotta, we, we talked to the running back, Ashton Hayes. He's good to go. Um, I'm under the understanding that Frost is a big Richard Torres fan and, you know, things are fine there. I mean, you can't even get Richard Torres to really answer a phone anyway. <laughs> so, right. And he's also coming off a, a knee ACL, injury. Too, ACL. So you got two receivers, him. though. Yeah. You know, um, Grant Page and Victor Jones, really, really good receivers. I mean, and then you got a tight end that is more of a blocking tight end. So, no offensive lineman. Like, Greg Austin had no lineman committed in the class at this point. So, the. I, I don't see it being that big of a deal. I think the bigger story is going to be the transfer portal and yeah, no doubt what they do. And I, I do think NIL is going to be an X factor. I think Nebraska is going to be able to lure in a couple of transfers they maybe wouldn't have been able to get a year ago because of a large NIL opportunity. Yeah, and uh, also what comes into it too is when you recruit, or sorry, when you hire new coaches, they generally have relationships and ties to potential transfers that could make Nebraska an immediate option or maybe an immediate leader for some instant impact type transfer players in the portal. And again, that that portal is going to get rolling as soon as the season comes to an end and having a staff in I mean, it's place already started to capitalize rolling, on that. Yeah. So, I mean, as far as being able to, to get guys into your program, uh, having your staff in place is going to be such a valuable asset to capitalize on some of those relationships. You know, these last two games too, like, God, what do you, what kind of stock do you put into them? I mean, do you give Nebraska a chance at all losing, you know, key field generals to the army i mean it's it's gonna be tough i mean i i think iowa is the one that got the better chance to win because i think their defense matches up really well but i the offensive line is still the offensive line and they have struggled all season 
Yeah, I mean, especially when we know just how banged up Adrian is, it doesn't sound like that's going to get fixed anytime soon. And then the offensive line struggling, uh, you know, it just seems like their hands were already, uh, you know, handcuffed a little bit. Now uh, you're doing it with uh, a bunch of new coaches uh, trying to finish out the season, just just get through this year. So uh, if nothing else, you can really credit these players for the resiliency they've showed throughout uh, a very difficult season. Uh, I mean, it of, sucks. A lot of gun, gut punches have already been endured. And, you know, for some of these guys, the, this Monday was the biggest one yet. But at the same time, they've been able to turn the page and at least show up every Saturday uh, for the most part. And, you know, they just played a really good game against Ohio State where they had a chance uh, in, in the end to potentially win that game. So, if they can compete with Ohio State, they can compete with Wisconsin and Iowa, but it's still going to be a very uphill battle. Yeah, I mean, this freaking sucks. There's no other way to say it for the players. Like, it, it's a tough deal. And, you know, JoJo Dolman's more than likely out for the final two games. We'll have more on that here this week, maybe by tomorrow from him. This is being taped on Wednesday. Um, but, yeah, you just look at this team, how close they've been all year. And you know, one Ohio State guy, a prominent writer, just made a joke like that is the best three and seven football team of all time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can certainly make a case for that because uh, obviously, being three and seven, you're not going to win many games. But Nebraska, without winning, has looked really good in a lot of games that they shouldn't have looked good. Uh, you know, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Michigan, Michigan State. I mean, these are all teams that uh, were in the play- college football playoff conversation or are. And so Nebraska showed that had a few bounces gone their way. They could have beaten one or if not more of those teams. So best three and seven. But, I mean, that's like even. saying you're the fastest slow guy I've ever seen. Yeah. So, I mean, it, <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. But yeah. I think that there, there's something to be said for that, that they're a better team than their record. And hopefully, uh, for Scott Frost's sake, these changes and kind of new approach are, will get them over the hump to where they don't have to be the uh, the best loser in college football. Yeah, it's, it's so tough because we all can see, Robin, how close they have been. I mean, they had the ball in the red zone to take the lead on Ohio State in the fourth quarter. Yep. I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> and they had a chance even at the very end when the onside kick rolls right through Cam Taylor Britt's hands to potentially turn that thing around. But, um, you know, are you talking about? Oh, wait, that, sorry, that was the Purdue, right? Yeah, get your yeah. losses straight. Sorry, there's so many of them. I get them mixed up. But Ryan did. I, I still can't believe like he threw and like put Stroud in that situation where Garrett Nelson caused that fumble. I mean that. That could have been a scoop and score type fumble. Like if a corner would have been there, you know, like it just would have, could have, should have the whole season. I mean, when you think about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, the, the list of those types of plays is long. And, you know, Scott said there's five plays right off the top of his head that uh, directly impacted their chances of winning that he can think of. And I'm sure if you really examined it, uh, there's probably a lot more than that. All right, when we come back, we're going to take some questions from our weekly mailbag. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 
it's not going to be easy. I got to find somebody that I trust. I'm always going to have, I'm an offensive guy. I'm always going to have something to do with it. There's things about being coach in Nebraska that I haven't been able to enjoy because all the time that I've been spending, you know, trying to fix problems and dig ourselves out of a hole and, and get the team better. And I have to spend a lot of time uh, offensively too. Not that I didn't have the right guys. Uh, again, I can't say enough good about them. I need to be able to really trust somebody. I'll still be involved. Uh, that'll take a lot off my plate and I think help me be even better in some other areas. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, as we're putting a wrap on what was supposed to be a quiet, nice bye weekend, opening hunting, uh, deer hunting weekend in the state of Nebraska. <laughs> Probably the busiest week we've had on the site all season, um, to be honest, Robin. And we had our weekly chat um, on the Red Sea Scrolls this week. It was a doozy. And let's just say, um, I mean, we have the most educated Husker fans on our site. I mean, they're some of the smartest. I mean, they help me do my job better because they ask legitimate questions. And we're going to go through just a few of the questions here in the mailbag. Um, you know, first question, and it's a legitimate question. There's now with Scott Frost taking a million dollar pay cut and then the one point seven seven five million in salary now freed up. That's close to three million, two point seven seven five million of additional salary that Nebraska now has. Do you anticipate the defensive coaching staff getting a pay bump? And, you know, that, that's a great question because I really don't know where they're at on that. I mean, sometimes it takes somebody wanting you to get a pay bump or maybe Trev Alberts is like, no, we're going to give Shenander a bump. Um, we're going to give this guy a bump. But I'm really, really curious how they handle that with these defensive coaches. Yeah, and I think uh, you could make a case that uh, they certainly earned uh, a, a bonus uh, of some sort, especially – um, you know, Eric Schnander for the do job that his group did year in, year out. I mean, sure, they had their lapses, but, you know, they played their best football against their best competition. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. Um, and you look at a guy like Travis Fisher. I mean, he's been courted many times by other schools um, and will probably have more opportunities to head somewhere else this offseason. So if you want to try to provide a little bit more incentive to keep uh, arguably your best recruiter on the staff um, and also a position coach that's done a really good job with the back end of that group, uh, I think that there might be uh, some some reasoning to, to kind of spread that money around to the defensive side of the ball as well. We heard Scott Frost say this week um, not they won't necessarily hire a special teams coordinator my question, uh, the question is, do they need to, or do they just need to hire somebody that knows how to find them a kicker punter, <laughs> a kicker punter and long snapper? Because yeah. that, I mean, they've, they have covered kicks and punts a lot better this year. I mean, they haven't really allowed anything in that phase, but I mean, if they could just find a true kicker and a true punter and, you know, a consistent long snapper, Cade Mueller was hurt last week, so they had to go. I mean, they didn't end up hurting him, but maybe that affected some of the field goal snaps. I don't know the answer to that, but they've got to button up the most important part of special teams. That's the kicking part of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, otherwise it will continue to lose you games like it has the last two, three years. And so that, you know, I don't... I'm in the camp that they should have a full-time special teams coordinator. And that's just me. It's a personal preference because uh, when you try to just kind of make do with uh, one of th the three elements of the game, you're going to get the results that we've seen over the last few years. And expecting it to change by doing it with an analyst or uh, a full staff effort or having a guy with a, you know co-titles like Mike Dawson do it, you know, you're, I think you're limiting yourself and how good you can be in that regard and how many Big Ten games are won and lost by special teams. Remember, how many games in the Big Ten do we watch this year where they had all-American type players that were changing the course of the game with 60-yard punts or, you know, 50-yard field goals or, or those types of things that 
uh, you know, don't really show up in the final stat sheets, but are huge parts in winning and losing. And so until they make special teams a priority that it needs to be, they're going to continue to get the same results. So I'm very curious to see how they handle that going yeah, forward. Yeah, it's got to get a kicker and a punter. I mean, it's really that simple. Ohio State's kicker that made every field goal look like it was a freaking layup in a basketball game, that was a transfer portal addition. Mm-hmm. I mean, God, just find a goddamn dang kicker and a punter. I mean, that's, yeah. it seems simple, but for whatever reason, Nebraska I am really tired of watching that. every team that plays Nebraska have like freaking NFL specialists. Absolutely. And, and again, that's that's the difference. When you talk about the fine line Nebraska has to walk week in, week out, uh, where you're playing well enough on one side, your offense is struggling, special teams are the difference. And Nebraska has been so poor in that regard like, for far too long. I would kill for a Pat Smith right now. Oh, yeah. like and, Pat and, Smith was good. And he carried himself like a pro. Like, mm-hmm. I loved Pat Smith. And, um, you know, he, he came in as a one-year transfer guy and was perfect um, to kind of bridge the gap there. But uh, next question, should we be on Mickey Joseph and Jake Pete's watch? And if you're not familiar with both these guys, um, both ties to Nebraska, both former players at LSU at Orgeron's been fired. Jake Pete's the O'Neill, Nebraska native, uh, was at Alabama with Saban, was a quarterback's coach in the NFL, is now the OC in Baton Rouge. Mickey Joseph, a wide receivers coach there, former Husker quarterback, uh, I think they're logical names. Um, mm-hmm. I just don't know if that's the direction Frost wants to go. Um, I still think Frost wants to have a say in the influence of the offense. And, yeah, he said as much too. And I, I don't know if like if you hired Pete's, like, is he going to want to do that or is he going to do what he wants to do? So it, it's going to be interesting how much the influence that Frost wants to have over the offense still is going to play a factor in this. Yeah, and so how much control is he actually willing to to give up? I know he's talked a lot about wanting to take a step back and uh, you know have someone else do it, but he's also made it very clear it's that coordinator has to be someone he trusts and uh, trusts to do everything the way that he wants it to be done. And so when you get someone that's kind of been doing their own thing, like like a Jake Peets, I mean that's uh, you got to just wonder just how willing he is to kind of uh, adapt his style to fit around uh, a new head coach but one factor here that you got to keep in mind is you just got to wonder what the the available selections are going to be for nebraska for those types of positions considering the circumstances and the unknowns about what lies ahead after 2022 what's the pool of potential coaching candidates going to be especially with you know you're trying to find some high profile off of offensive coordinator that is probably going to have a little bit more stability at other places you're listening here to the Husker online show as we take questions in the mailbag. What do you see right now as the key priorities in the transfer portal? I mean, quarterback. I mean, I, I think the discussion of transfer portal quarterback at Adrian Martinez, can they coexist together? And it just doesn't seem likely um, because if a new dude comes in and, you know, he's going to have some tinkers of the offense and they get a hand-picked portal quarterback in in year five, you know, it just seems like that guy's going to have the chance to, to overtake Martinez. And will Martinez want to risk that, just retire from the game of football, or try to go somewhere else? Yeah, and honestly, you're, you're talking about doing the same thing and you know, expecting different results. You're going to go five straight years with the same starting quarterback, and I know McCaffrey was sprinkled in there a little bit, but uh, by and large, it's been Adrian for four years now. And you're going to do it for a fifth year? 
I mean, I guess if you're trying to do this rebranding of what you are offensively, uh, especially if you're going to give that much say to a new assistant coach, uh, offensive coordinator, I mean, you're going to have to have that coordinator have a, have a say in who the quarterback is. That is such an integral part of doing what they want to do on offense. And if you make them have to work around, uh, you know, a guy like Adrian, which he's, he's got talent, but that new coordinator is going to want his guy. And if that new coordinator has the ability to bring in a potential transfer quarterback, which, oh, by the way, there's a former LSU starter that's in the portal right now, uh, you know, maybe that makes sense. Yeah, it'll be interesting where this all goes. Final question here. Why do you think Frost waited so long to overhaul his staff? Was it loyalty or just not being aware? And I disagree there a little bit because in 2019, he somewhat did overhaul his staff. He fired Troy Walters and he fired Javon DeWitt. That wasn't phrased that way, but they were fired. They were told they didn't have a job the next year at Nebraska and they, they, they got new gigs and they moved on. Um, so he took care of an offensive coordinator and special teams coordinator and outside linebackers coach in year two. I just think that pandemic year, Robin, in 2020, it really complicated a lot of things. You started the year so late and you played dang near up to Christmas. I mean, we were in Rutgers on like December 19th or December 18th. Mm-hmm. And then the portal season and the holidays, it just, I don't know. It just, I, I think last year, I know some fans don't want to count it as a mulligan or a year that doesn't count, but people treated 2020 different. And I think that might have played a factor, um, you know, because I do. I, I thought there was a time where maybe Greg Austin was going to move on, but then that Rutgers win as well really complicated it because you're like, oh, we beat Rutgers. We won a game to close the year. You know, it's feel good. Yeah, I, I do think that there is something with that. I mean, that just threw everything off with your normal schedule on how you would normally operate i mean that was kind of out the window when that covid stuff just disrupted everything but i also will say that scott frost is a very loyal guy and he is stuck with those guys from day one at ucf and made it a point to bring in every single one of them with him to nebraska and so it's not surprising that maybe he was reluctant to let go someone who he considers, you know, uh, not only a, a, a close professional, uh, you know, colleague, but okay, also better a friend. Question. If they lose to Rutgers, like remember how bad that game started out and it's a, just a terrible loss. Like they look like crap and it's they look like crap the week before against Minnesota. I'd use other language, but we're on <laughs> affiliates across the state of Nebraska here. So I got to keep my uh, language clean here. But would they have made staff moves, you think, if that Rutgers game would have been a loss last year. I, I, I think they would have. Potentially. I think the cry would have been loud at that point. Right, but then that was enough for, for Scott to stick with his guys because it was evidence that a this thing could be win. Yeah, over Rutgers in December. So, <laughs> again, I, I do think it, there's it's not just clear cut one way or the other, but I think loyalty had something to do with it. All right, when we come back, we'll close the show with some Nebraska basketball discussion, and unfortunately we've got an open season-opening loss to Western Illinois to break down. That will close our show. You're listening here to the Oscar Line Show. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. 
You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. We had one assist at halftime, and, you know, it's just, it's not us. And they went to a switching one through five defense. We got really stagnant, obviously, and just tried to drive through a pile and, and throw up wild shots. Second half, our pace was much better. You know, we scored 42 points. That's enough. Uh, you know, we just didn't have any physicality and couldn't finish off possessions on the defensive end. Um, you know, you can go one or two ways from this. You can out and put your heads down or you can learn from it and get better and that's that's what we're going to have to do these next two days leading into our next game on Friday we're playing a good team uh, on Friday got to grow from it we got to get better from it and and uh, and find a way to get some type of physicality out there we're just getting manhandled right now um, obviously on the glass and we're back here final segment Robin Washett of the Husker online show by week edition we gave you a little basketball time here I know it's football season um, but Nebraska basketball you know, I, I say high expectations. I want to say optimistic expectations. That's probably yeah. the better word to use. It's all relative. Um, and the Huskers dropped their season opening game to Summit League Western Illinois, 75-74. They had a three-point lead late, but really never had a comfortable lead at all in this game, correct? No, they, they didn't lead for nine straight minutes uh, in the second half. Uh, after and then they finally were able to, to come back and, and take the lead with about two minutes left and it seemed like they were going to win it. Your Trey McGowan throws down the big poster dunk, gets the crowd into it. They go by three, and so they they made uh, I think they they made twenty three of twenty nine or, or twenty two of twenty nine. I can't remember the free throw numbers off for hand right now, but anyway, 23 of 31, 23 of 31. Thank you. Seventy four point two percent. Right, and so of those eight misses. Four of them came in the final minute. And so you talk about just finding ways to lose. That's it right there. Uh, I mean, obviously the rebounding was a complete disaster. I mean, we knew they're a bad rebounding team, but that was about as terrible as it could possibly get. They, a they 20 were margin. Completely they out-rebounded by 20, gave up 23 offensive rebounds for 22 second-chance points. And that was against a – I mean, I guess Western Illinois has a bigger – front court they had a couple roughly six foot ten guys another six foot seven guy but i mean they weren't a daunting challenge it's not like those guys were you know isaac haas or anything out there you know real behemoths they're more like finesse shooters and they got dominated because it wasn't even their bigs it was it was western Illinois guards that were crashing down on uh long shots and just out hustling nebraska for rebounds and so the timely missed free throws, the defensive breakdowns, especially in the final 20 seconds when Western Illinois hit two straight three-pointers to uh, win the game, uh, and then the night-long rebounding issues, uh, it was a really bad look for Nebraska to open the season, especially with how well they played uh, the last time out against Colorado. Well, and think about this. Bryce McGowan's played 39 minutes. Alonzo Verge played 35 minutes. You had to play these guys that many minutes against a team that you're basically paying to get a win. Yeah, they were 16-point favorites in that game. And clearly, uh, that's as old John Rothstein likes to say, was the epitome of brutality because you lost the game that you paid him some money to, to come here and play. Uh, and now you're left kind of scratching your heads about what this team actually is. We thought we had a pretty good idea after the exhibitions, uh, again, especially against Colorado, which, by the way, Colorado barely uh, beat Montana State. Like they were down by, uh, I think, like eleven with like four minutes to go, and and came back. That was almost yeah. a bad. This Colorado game, it was great the way they played that day, it's Robin. Kind of fool's gold. But it, it really, I think, probably gave some guys like, hey, we we we're here. 
Yeah, and so Colorado, we'll, we'll see what they are, but they're probably going to be at the bottom of the Pac-12. But the, Nebraska still whipped him. I mean, they they dominated them from start to finish. And they so hit shots. They, yeah, and so I think that kind of shows just what this team is, is they're a volatile team offensively. They're a front-running team that when things go well out of the gates and they knock down shots early and get that momentum behind them, they're good enough to to run away from teams. But if they struggle, like they did against Western Illinois, when they miss their first six shots and um, you know all of a sudden guys start to panic a little bit and the trust goes away, the ball movement stops, they become uh, you know one-on-one isolation offense, uh, that's what we saw all last season, uh, you know, at least you know, before the end of the year. And that's not what this offense is supposed to be. It's not what Fred Hoiberg was brought here to do. But when the guys that are ultimately handling the ball and – Alonzo Verge and Bryce McGowan scored a lot of points, but they had to take a lot of shots to get to it, and they had six assists in that game. Yeah, you look at the numbers. Verge was 9 of 20, and McGowan's 7 of 18. Uh, The two, though, were 2 of 8 on three-pointers. You know, the one promising stat is they did get a lot of free free throws, 21 combined free throws. They scored 17 points, those two players. You know, and that's a good thing. Nebraska has not always been a good – team that draws free throws but man that gotta make them when it matters when Ver, verge had 13 <laughs> rebounds like that's not a good no. thing when your point guard has the most yeah, rebounds when you're, when your 6-2 point guard is getting double figure rebounds and no one else is even close that's why again it's it's an issue uh from a team-wide perspective so there the, you could point to those guys performances uh, at least from a scoring standpoint as positives but it came at the expense of the flow and movement that the offense is supposed to have. The movement that we saw against Colorado where guys were throwing the ball all over, looking for the open shooters. And then when the guys had open shots, they were taking them and making them. Uh, when, when all of that is clicking, Nebraska's offense is almost impossible to stop where, you know, you have verge being able to play one-on-one and either get to the lane for a rebound or kick it out to one of your shooters but that wasn't happening. There was no kickouts. It was all forcing the shot at the rim, and it just looked like a disjointed offense from start to finish. And, you know, Nebraska, with, with what they lack on the rebounding department, and they're not never going to be a great defensive team, they have to score, and they have to be able to hit those three-pointers. And if the offense fumbles around like it did on Tuesday night, it is going to be a long year in games like Two that. Two questions. What was the crowd like? I mean, they always just put that 15,000 number down. Was it? No. No, it was probably like seven or eight, maybe. So it was only about half. And then were the concession stands no, better? No, there was uh, – people were complaining oh, about man. that. Oh, man, that's going to be a problem at PBA. I mean – I don't know why because uh, apparently the, it was like that for uh, the Dude Perfect concert or performance, uh, too, that was uh, at PBA. So, I mean, like it's, it's not just a basketball game. It's a PBA thing that – Maybe they're not getting enough employees well, to run the really, registered or whatever it is. They've really sized down kind of the options in the concession stands. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a piece of pizza, it's a hot dog, it's pretzel bites, and that's it. I mean, yeah. And so there were like two registers open from like the 200 and 300 level. So, oh my god, fans are going there and watching that product, and they can't even get anything to eat. Let <laughs> alone a beer. That's going to make for an angry crowd. So, yeah, I mean, so the crowd, like I said, it wasn't nearly full, and it was kind of a crowd that was in wait and see mode. Like I think just the all the stuff that was maybe going on with football carried over to where people just like they Ang- wanted angry. <laughs> they wanted to be entertained and you know like uh, you know treated to an enjoyable experience and that didn't happen especially with the way the game started and there were points when they got into it and to their credit there wasn't a lot to cheer for at least extended runs to cheer for but uh it, it was a crowd that needed plays to happen to get into it and for the, this team like I said because they're such front runners 
you know, they're going to benefit from more electric atmospheres. And I do think they're going to come, especially next week when Creighton comes. To so town. it's Friday. They have a game. Same Houston state. And then Creighton on Tuesday, on Tuesday night. And then that following Friday against Idaho state. So, uh, you know, there's opportunity, obviously, you know, Creighton, they won, uh, but they, uh, was Arkansas Pine Bluff? You know they were trailing by double digits uh, at one point. Of course, Creighton's got a point guard again. Yeah, and you know they found ways to do it. You know they they found ways to rebound and they found ways to to score in the second half and won that game. So they're they're a young team that's figuring it out pretty quickly. And for Nebraska to finally be able to 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 get one on them, they're going to have to do the same. All right. Well, make sure you're logged on to HuskerOnline.com. We will have you up to date with Nebraska basketball this weekend. It's the bye weekend, no football, but plenty of recruiting and obviously coaching scoop and news can break at any time. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 